Yes, so hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nucleus Investment Insights. And today we're looking at the Australian debt crisis. And so we've put together essentially a bit of a playbook of uh, the Australian debt crisis as it stands today and um, some factors behind and reasoning behind why we think we're in a crisis and obviously uh, the impacts going forward. I'm joined today, as always, by Chief Strategist David Llewellyn-Smith. G'day, David. G'day, Tim. And Nucleus Wells Head of Investments, Damien Klassen. G'day, Hi, Damien. Tim. Fantastic. So we'll kick off with an agenda today. We're going to be just broadly looking at bubbles in general, classifying bubbles. What are they? And how do you know if you're in one? Um, then, of course, identifying what sort of bubble it could be and the conditions or prevalent conditions that sit behind that as well. As with all things bubbles, eventually they can end in a crash. So we'll uh, pick apart potential uh, topics of, 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 and parts of the, the crash situation that we may be facing. And then finally, in response, of course, uh, governments uh, and industry potentially can rally behind and, and, uh, and pull apart and, uh, and rebuild. So uh, we'll talk at length some of the policy responses as well. So with no further ado, let's jump into it. We've got uh, an overview. So let's kick us off with uh, Damien. Yeah, sure. I think the um, the key thing is uh, this is based around a, a book recently published by by Ray Dalio. So Ray's a um, a long term hedge fund manager. He's sort of I think so a lot of claims to fame, but basically he's written this book uh, at the request of central bankers because he's he's got an extremely detailed uh, model of the economy and 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 a lot of um, you know his. That's, his hedge fund has been spoken about as having better resources than the, than, than the Fed in terms of looking at these economies. And so um, he's, he's been asked to, to put this together, and it's quite a detailed book. It's sort of 500 pages long, and it goes into all the different types. And he's sort of hitting the, the, the book review um, circuit at the moment. And so you'll find him on a lot of podcasts and stuff like that. But what we wanted to do was, was isolate and say, okay, well, if we take his framework for looking at bubbles and actually apply that to the Australian market, what do we see in terms of um, in terms of where the Australian market sits, and and what does that actually mean in terms of um, yeah, in terms of policies and, and things like that? Um, we have um, there's he sort of set up a a, a few different um, a few different categories he puts things into. So he's sort of got the early parts of the bubbles and we've got a sort of a, a picture up on the moment sort of showing interest rates, um, how they generally progress over the time frame. Um, we have this early cycle, then you get this bubble kicking along, um, then, then you get the top of the bubble as, as interest rates start to, to tighten up and then um, you fall into the depression, which he sort of defines as a, as a GDP down 3% event. And then you finally get into the, the beautiful deleveraging and the, and the, the, the normalisation type, type stage. So... Um, yeah, so I think the the key things we want to do is is uh, jump into sort of this uh, bubble classification stage. So we might might jump to the next slide. Um, so, so how we put it together is uh, there's basically two different types of of uh, cri financial crises that you get. You either get inflationary crises or, or deflationary crises, and, and the main difference is if you are um, if you don't have control of your external debt. Um, so then you end up in, in, in an inflationary crisis, mm. uh, like you sort of the, the Weimar Republic or a lot of the South American countries, um, some of the Asian uh, countries in the Asian crisis sort of ended up in these inflationary uh, debt crises. Uh, if you do have control of your uh, debt and, and your debt isn't denominated in, in foreign currencies, then you generally tend to, to experience a deflationary um, 
uh, debt crisis. And that's sort of a, it's an important point for, for investors looking at this and also for, for policymakers um, is that, you know, around the US, um, as, as the US market was, was going through its debt crisis, there was a lot of discussion about the, the amount of money that was being printed and how it was all going to end in tears and, and inflation, hyperinflation was just around the corner and Weimar Germany and, and, and uh, Brazilian, sorry, Argentinian sort of inflation rates and things like that. And but but it's very important to note that that depending upon how you're um, you're set up with your external liabilities, that that's what really determines whether you're in an inflationary or deflationary, not the um, not as much the amount of money printing that sort of goes into this. Mm. Okay, David. Uh, well, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, uh, I, I mean uh, the obvious uh, corollary to that is you know where does Australia fit, and that is um, you know. A, do we have control of our external liabilities? We certainly have them. They're quite large. In fact, they're very large uh, relative to most other nations. About uh, 60% of GDP, something like that, is um, bank uh, borrowing, mm-hmm. offshore. Yeah. Yes, and most of those liabilities are, are from the banks. So, so yes. we've got a, yeah, a large external yep. uh, debt. But yep. most of it uh, to the yep. banks. It's yeah. useful to compare that with Canada, for instance, which has a sort of, you know, is is also seen as something of a housing bubble, uh, like Australia, uh, and you know, an anglosphere economy with not dissimilar characteristics. There are mm. actually some big differences, and one of them is that can, the Canadian external debt is is very small, uh, and so they don't have this big external liability to worry about. The good news in that is that. Uh, one of the reasons this liability took off is the Australian banks in the late 90s mastered the derivatives uh, swaps market uh, in interest rates and uh, forex. Mm. Uh, and that means that just about all of those liabilities are swapped back into Australian dollars. So uh, rather than, even though we have a large external liability, we actually don't have it denominated in anything other than Australian dollars. So we are not like a banana republic where if the Australian dollar starts to fall, our external liabilities explode. Mm. Uh, and then you, that's where you get into your inflationary feedback loops. Mm. And, so, um, and so what that means is where if, you know, if we go through a debt crisis, then, then we're, we're most likely headed for a, a deflationary debt crisis. Okay, fantastic. You've yeah. just, you just answered a question in that one. Thanks, Damien. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Um, sure, thing. and so I guess um, and this, is a, this is a commonly trotted out line when people say engage the printers. Um, is that just uh, showing a, a bit of naivety that you know that there is effectively this you know, there is two sides of the coin when it comes to just firing them up? Yes, I mean there's there's a whole bunch of different uh, nuances that go into this, and and, and we'll, we'll go into uh, more detail on the, on the printing later. But, sure. but I think there's probably two things to to notice. One is that um, there's usually within these debt crises there's been a huge amount of credit creation. Mm-hmm. And uh, the economy needs this credit creation to keep going, and and just to so that you don't go through when you go through big negative amounts of credit, all of a sudden people can't operate their their normal lives going in the, in, in the normal mm-hmm. you know, in the normal fashion. So once you've sort of got to these stages, it's all about the central bank managing to to basically step in and replace the credit creation with money printing. So you if you did too much of it, yeah, you'll end up with inflation. But but um, as long as they're just replacing um, the the what used to come from credit with with money printing yep. then then you're all right and it's worth noting as well that um i think it's also worth adding that despite all of central bank's efforts through the gfc 
you know, they got nowhere near printing enough. No, no that's right, yeah. <laughs> so it remained yeah. highly deflationary. Yeah, exactly. So in theory, you could certainly print enough to, to create inflation in that environment. But mm. nobody, you know, despite the printing presses whirring like, like mad things, they got yeah. nowhere near it. Mm. Yeah, and part of that's because uh, your printing presses are, if you're printing presses to buy government debt, then you sort of run out of room and and, and, and that becomes, <clears throat> at, at the start that's great, um, but eventually that, that it gets less and lesser effect the longer that goes on. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're printing presses to, to get it out to, to, the, to the populace, then you can start getting that inflation going, but, but that generally hasn't happened in, in the last set and probably wouldn't happen, certainly in the short term in, in, in ours. And, okay. and the other factor worth noting as well, whenever you get these crises is um, a lot of it is about how far you want to shift this thing. So, so you basically go, we've got this big negative and then you, you've um, a big negative hit. Say, say you've grown um, debt and Australia has sort of grown debt by uh, 20% um, of GDP faster. So we've gone from sort of, we've increased our debt to rate debt to GDP ratio, actually probably closer to 30% mm-hmm. of GDP. So then you go, well, if I'm going to have a negative hit of say 20% of GDP, now do I take that all in one year and create this massive negative and, and you know, the sky's falling and, and everyone's out of work and all that type of stuff? Or do I just stretch that out over a longer period where, you know, growth can actually pick up and, and you know, if I'm growing, inflation's a bit higher and mm-hmm. growing at 3 or 4%. Um, I would have been growing at 3 or 4%, but now I'm growing 1 or 2% and taking a 2% hit every year, then, mm. then it becomes more manageable. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's the inflationary, de- deflationary side. The next most important thing, and especially for Australia, is uh, is, it, is it a long-term or a short-term? And, and what what I mean by this is I've got, I've got up a chart um, showing uh, private debt to GDP and public debt to GDP uh, for, for Australia. And it, and it goes through short-term cycles as well as long-term cycles. So this is sort of over 100 years, and we can see these, these, these big rises and then big falls. But within the big rises and big falls, there's also small rises and small falls. So, so, and the small rises and small falls are the, the typical economic cycle. So you go through an economic cycle, and, and things go well, and then you, know, you slide off a bit, and then, and then you go up and, and, and down. And, and, but uh, it's important to note that we're, we're actually in this broader-based, really big trend upwards. And so every time the market starts to turn down, the question has to be, is this the big one? Is this mm. the time where the, the long-term debt trend all of a sudden um, starts to normalize? Or is this just another little blip in the, in the, in the sort of, uh, is this just another short-term t- cycle trend? Okay. And so um, I think there's, no, no one knows the answer for, for those. And I think most, most people thought that, you know, come 2008, um, that Australia was headed for, you know, we'd, we'd been through this long-term trend and we'd also had a short-term uptrend and that that finished and that we were going to, the, the, the long-term debt trend was going to normalise. And then China stepped in with, a, the, you know, the, one of the biggest stimulus packages we've ever seen. And um, it was happy days for the Australian economy and on, on we went. Um, so the, we think the next big one, or the, certainly the next big external shock, will be enough to, to bring down, to bring on the longer term debt crisis for Australia. Mm-hmm. But maybe we'll get lucky again. We've seen, we've, 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 been, we've, we've been lucky a number of times. Um, and so, you know, it could easily happen again. And, and the next blip could just be another short term downtrend. And, and then you resume the, the upward. But, but, you know, based on our, uh, most of our measurements, um, you know, we're, we're certainly reaching the end. Um, we think we think the next one will be largely a transfer. Um, so you can see on this graph that, that the, the the private debt is very high, but the public debt is still quite low in Australia. Mm-hmm. We think the next crisis will be a shift where 
um, basically you bail out the, the, the private debt mm-hmm. by, by increasing your government debt and then you've got, you know, 10 years down the track, you know, you've got another major issue, which is, okay, now we're, we're, we're stretched on both these measures. Mm, okay. And um, I think there's a few countries around the world where that's, that's true of as well and probably the US, you know, there's certainly, at the moment, everything's humming along and all that, but they're... Mm-hmm. But they're um, they have increased their government debt and and it's pushing up to certain levels and, and private debt's starting to, to, to lift off again. So, um, you know, that's, it's a question of sustainability and when you hit that longer term. Mm. Okay, sure thing. Mm. I mean, the main reason why you think that this will be probably the long-term reckoning, uh, for instance, I didn't think the GFC would be for Australia. In fact, I advised people to buy housing in 2009 um, this time I think it is the long-term reckoning and it's really about interest rates. Mm. Um, we've simply run out of room on interest rates. We've hit the zero bound and that's a typical signal for when mm. uh, you've you've run the gamut on what's possible in terms of your debt stock. Yeah. You know, and I mean, we've ha- we haven't even... Oh, we'll get back into that, I guess, but... Yeah, yeah, we'll go into that and have some more detail about science. We're sort of hitting the end. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we'll roll into um, identifying bubbles. Yeah. So, so it's important to note that, you know, bubbles, are, are, a lot of debt bubbles um, are by their nature self-reinforcing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and what I mean by that is you get this sort of this upswing where um, banks go out and lend money to, to people to buy houses um, and the, the value of those houses go up and then people take some money out of that and they go and stick it into another house mm-hmm. and the value of those houses go up and then they, and there's this, they're getting more income and, and everything's sort of this, everyone's happy. Like mm. this is sort of this real um, rising spending, uh, rising incomes, uh, borrowers can, can, can lend more. Um, it's, it's know, effectively just a wealth effect. Really, isn't it? Everyone's everyone's getting richer. Absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah, everyone's getting richer on on the back of debt. Yeah. So you're increasing your debt. So you sort of you basically saying you know my my ordinary income might be um you know might be a hundred thousand dollars a year, mm. and I'll I'll borrow and 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 turn that into a hundred and ten thousand dollars a year to do all this investment, and that's working great. And I keep I keep building up building up these this big debt um to to back that. My income keeps rising, and then eventually. At a certain stage, it goes into reverse, mm. and now, now that's where the, the danger starts to happen. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so okay. So we've got bubbles that are self-reinforcing, and and we think that Australia sort of fits that fits that mould very much in terms of um, yeah, what's been going up keeps going up, and and helps the whole the whole thing to kick along, and more real estate commissions, and more money for for governments in terms of um, stamp duties, stamp duties, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. The next thing uh, that bubbles usually have is new financial instruments. So there's basically um, you know, when, when you're trying to get debt, when, when you've got these debt-driven bubbles, you need ways to shovel more and more debt out to people. So mm-hmm. so Australians, Australian debt has been rising um, much, much faster than Australian incomes. And so uh, you need to, if you're operating under your old scenario, which is, well, I need to, people need to have income to, to back the debt. Yep. Um, and you've got certain characteristics and, then, and, and they're only lent through banks, then um, it's very hard to, to shovel enough debt out there to, to actually get to grow this thing. Um, so what usually happens in a lot of other countries is you get uh, you get these new financial instruments. So in the, in the US, we saw CDOs and, and um, you know, ninja loans and, and all these things like that, that, that sort of got that, got really shoveled that credit out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't, and, and, and a huge shadow banking sector, they call it, mm. um, which we haven't really seen in Australia. 
So what's tended to happen in Australia is um, our, our, our new areas, uh, for, for my part, well, look, we had some tax changes, which, mm-hmm. which helped uh, in terms of negative gearing and, um, uh, and your, um, but mainly your capital gains. Yep. Uh, we've had self-managed super funds, so we've let people tap into their self-managed super funds to, to put more in. Yep. There's been a decent influx of, or a big influx of, of, of overseas buyers, um, which which has helped out. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and, and so all that's meant that, that that's managed to funnel straight into the banking sector still. So most of our loans are still sort of tied up in this banking sector. The two big ones for the banking sector is uh, they've been using what's called the HEM, which is, David, you'll give me a... What's that actually stand for? Um, household expenditure measure. Yeah, so it's basically a poverty measure where you know you basically use a very. It's a base case, isn't it? Base it's case, yeah. yeah applied so, for everybody. So somebody somebody rolls in and says, "Yeah, I've got you know I've got a lease on two different BMWs, and I've got my you know three kids all in private schools, and um, you know I've got a huge house and all these expenses to, to pay, and we take annual annual skiing holidays." And then the bank says, oh, okay, well, you know, if you were living on the poverty line, you would need, you know, $400 <laughs> yeah. a month. And so that's what we'll put in you for expenses. And now you can borrow 10 times as much as, mm. as what you would have if we actually had put in your real expenses. Yep. It's actually based on an ABS measure, the HES, right. H-E-S, but through, through a chicanery of one sort or another, uh, it somehow ended up being about half what the HES is. <laughs> so so it, it really is a, a grotesque underestimation of typical yeah. ex- household expenditure. Mm. Yeah. And, and so that's how we managed to shovel all this credit out because, mm-hmm. you know, if we had have had to say, Tim, what's your real salary and what's your real expenses, um, there's no way we could have lent you that much money, yep. but, but we've managed to do that. And the other thing is we've had, there's a, there was a fairly um, decent... Uh, change in the interest-only lending as well, where there was a lot more interest-only yeah. lending done to uh, to investors. Mm. I'll just add, I think the HEM tax changes in SMSF would have been running since the millennium. Not... Uh, the SMSF wasn't that long ago. No. Maybe not. No, no. Well, certainly the tax changes. Tax changes I, I'm not sure how long they've been using the HEM. Well, the, ca- the capital gains was sort of mid-2000s, though. No, no, they did that. They did that in 1999 as well. Oh, it was okay. Howard, yeah, but the 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 ones that that really the new instruments that like post 2011 when this blow off bubble mm. you know really took off. Yeah. Um, and it was very difficult to get going. They struggled for two years to really fire it up, even though they slashed interest rates. The new, the major new instruments in this one was interest only, uh, and the Chinese cash. Yes. They're mm. the two that really went nuts. Mm. Um, now, you can't really call Chinese cash a new instrument, but um, it was certainly, a, and it's not actually debt, but... Um, well, but it's, it's, it is a new source. I think that's the main, I, the, his main, Dalio's main point is you need, you need a new source of, of, of demand for, for these yeah. assets. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was. Yeah. And even though it wasn't debt, um, it nonetheless uh, was highly risky, and we're mm. now seeing that after China shut its capital account, not only has that flow stopped, in some some places it's reversing quite fast. Oh, and that makes sense, obviously, with house pricing being a marginal sort of thing. It's all set on the margins, isn't it? So if you just keep adding people that think that the margin should be here rather than here, then mm. vis-a-vis China, and that's the Exactly. And that's mm. especially the case if you bring in very wealthy people from elsewhere looking for a bolt hole mm. uh, that, you know, have... have different motivations and much higher levels of, of cash 
to throw in. Mm. So it shifts that marginal buyer materially. Mm. Yeah, my, my take as well. I've sort of cynically said, you know, if you're a, a pious uh, government employee of a, a nameless country who'd, who'd managed to, you know, just through being a, a normal government employee, managed to get a few million dollars worth of worth of thing, and you're worried that maybe if there was a corruption crackdown, down, you might be you might lose that. You'd be more than happy to buy use that to buy property in Australia, even if you're going to lose money on the deal. You might go well, you know, if I threw two or three million dollars yep. into that, and even if I lost, you know, a couple hundred thousand, it's far better than losing the lot. Mm. If um if I kept it in in my home country where um it's they gone. might discover, you know, how a uh, how a pious public servant managed to managed to get that much money. I mean, if if I had to characterise what happened in this blow off, I would. Like, as I said, they started slashing interest rates in 2011. Housing did nothing for two years. It didn't take off till 2013 until the Chinese money hit. Mm. And I think what happened then was Australians were priced out almost instantly and they the only way they could chase it was with interest-only loans. Mm. Mm. Right? They have to had to erase principle from the equation yeah. <laughs> because we got priced into a, an entirely different regime. Mm. Mm. That's more or less the story, I think. Mm. So let's let's hit Dalio's checklist then, which yep. is on the next one, which is his. Um, uh, so basically, yeah, he's he's got a bunch of things, a whole bunch of different ones. You know, US in various uh, different measures, uh, some of the Japanese crises and, and Greece and Ireland and places like that. They're basically saying, well, are prices high relative to traditional measures? And you go, yep, in they pretty much are. Um, a price uh, prices discounting future rapid um, price appreciation. And again, I'd say, well, if you're buying property on you know, yields of one-ish percent and, and lower, you know, I guess net yields of even lower than that, then ten, ten times your income. Exactly, mm. you've you, you've got to you've, you've got to be assuming that the, the prices are going up to better <laughs> to, to justify buying. Yeah. Uh, are they being are purchases being financed by high, <laughs> high leverage? Absolutely. Um, are buyers and companies making forward purchases? Look. Not that much. I think they sort of go through the different markets and some, some are, some aren't. Um, I think Australia is sort of a little bit grey in that area. Um, there's certainly a lot of the buy off the plan. Um, I think we're seeing that started to happen now where people are failing on their... They've basically put down money on a, a whole bunch of um, sort of bought off the plan, stuck down 10 grand with the idea that I'll flip it and, and find another one as soon as it comes up. Absolutely. I think you, you can say that's quite big actually. In, right, in okay. this blow off, like the level of apartment construction across the East Coast is all buying future. Mm. And that's actually only just started to settle. It's got another three or four years of settlement ahead. Yep. Into the vast. Yep. Um, number five, have new participants entered the market? Absolutely. We spoke about that a minute ago. Um, <clears throat> Six is their broad bullish sentiment. Uh, absolutely, I think if you read any newspaper uh, for the last five years, maybe not the last six months, but certainly times before that, there were certainly you know discussions about property doubling every every seven years or whatever. You just needed to. It was just a just buy and hold. Yeah, just buy and hold. Yep. Yeah. And, and then buy some more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lever well, leverage mean, and buy some more. Yeah. And the New South Wales planning minister came out and said, "All you need to be set for life is to buy a Sydney property." Mm -hmm. He said that almost on the weekend the market topped, but you know that was where the sentiment was. Mm, yep. Mm. And then finally, does tightening risk pop, popping the bubble? And and absolutely, I think the tightening of credit we've seen without without interest rates rising mm. is uh, as as absolutely seen the um, you know that come to come to bear. Sure. So it's worth noting as well that there's just a few. Um, 
Yeah, so we're in, we're in these identifying the bubbles and also working out uh, the concentration. So if the concentration is broadly spread across the economy, it's mm. less of a worry than if you've got sort of really concentrated in, in particular areas. Yeah, right. Because you basically want to go, well, if, if something blows up, and everyone takes a little bit of plane, that's that's all right. Mm-hmm. But if it blows up and you've got a, a, a large portion of the population, or sorry, you know, a, a concentra- more concentrated population, you know, 10%, 15% of the population are, are leveraged up to their eyeballs and, and are, are really going to suffer, then that can that can affect things more than, than everyone taking a little bit of pain. That's a really good point, I guess, because, um, yeah, obviously Melbourne and Sydney are the epicenters of this, this housing cool-off. Um, mm. So, yeah, okay, fantastic. Yeah, so, so arguably that's... that's Possibly a slight positive for Australia in that um, you know WA and, and Northern Queensland has seen some of the um, declines already. Uh, you know, rather than having every housing market all fall over at the same time and all of a sudden everyone go, "Wow, that's you know, we never knew that was coming." So it, it, it is slightly beneficial, but but in the end, you know, it's the the speed of the decline and, and, and things like that that make the biggest difference. That said, the blow off was very concentrated in Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah, mm. which is at present. Sorry. At present. Well, the blow-off from the 20, upwards, 20 the Oh, yeah. sorry. Big yeah, not the blow-up. <laughs> the blow-off was very concentrated in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, extremely so, much more so than it's ever been before. Hmm. I think Melbourne, relative to every other property market in the country, reached its most expensive in history hmm. at a point. Uh, so we do tick that box as well, hmm. don't know. So let's let's go to conditions. So so we've sort of identified. Yes, we're in we're in this bubble, and and we're, we're, it's a deflationary bubble. We think it's a long term, uh, long term one, and we're sort of ticking all the boxes of, of what's happening. There was a, actually just a quick question on that note. Um, so if it is going to be a long term bubble, how can you be so sure that the powers that be, including overseas powers, can't reach for more stimulus and just kick it along all over again? They absolutely can. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> question is how fast they get there, because if it, if it, if they don't get there fast enough. And then, then they can't kick it along. And actually, we'll go into that in a little bit more detail. How can you? How can we kick this along? How can we kick the can a little bit further down the road and give ourselves a little bit more breathing room? Sure. But and, and how far can it be kicked? Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. So the, the next thing is this condition side. So, so this is just sort of saying, look, when the bubble's happening, what typically happens? So typically, you'll see leveraging up about 25 percent of GDP over sort of three three plus years. Um, now, Australia. Um, We've seen private debt up about 20% as a percentage of GDP and public up about 10 over, over five years. So we're certainly in the, you know, so it's been a little bit longer, it hasn't been quite as steep, but it's certainly um, been increasing. Uh, they talk about total debt to income um, of about 300%. So um, it, the issue for Australia is the government lending is really letting us down. Those guys haven't been borrowing as much as they, they could. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm sure. I think we'll, they'll probably fix that as the uh, as as the crisis hits. But I guess the, the, that's that's one thing where we're where we are slightly different, as we're not. You know, the government does have scope to, to take on some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they speak about the yield curve flattening um, by sort of somewhere between um, 0.9 to 1.7. Now, our yield curve just meets that over the last five years, um, but it's probably not. Um, I wouldn't call it. Um, you know, I wouldn't call it. Uh, a huge flattening. It's certainly flattened, but it's not. It's not. Um, Give it three months. Yeah. Well, that's right. Because so we, we, yeah, we're still we're not quite there on that one. Uh, extend equity <coughs> markets extended a rally. So I'm working backwards through these checklists. Um, yeah, look, our equity markets. You know, if you went from 2012 and included dividends, you know, you can get 100% turn mm-hmm. from there. Um, uh, in terms of the debt growing faster than incomes, absolutely. Um, Income growth, they talk about it being high but slower than debt. Now, that's 
probably the that's probably our weakest point in terms of meeting the conditions is income growth we wouldn't call as high it's it's been high if you if you do it on a um, on a total basis mm. but on a per capita basis it actually hasn't been that good mm-hmm. but um but yeah i think we fit pretty much all those criteria um you know, income growth and yield we're only just scraping in but but uh yeah we're sort of we fit we fit the condition of that okay we're into this bubble and and and, and where are things going the next point is very important is that um he makes the point that uh, in many cases, uh, monetary policy helps inflate the bubble rather, constra- rather than constrain it. And mm-hmm. We'll move on to, to, to later on what we should have done, but um, I think this is certainly true over the, as, as the RBA cut rates um, almost explicitly with a view of um, you know we're coming out of this ha- we're coming out of this commodity boom and we need to find something else to replace it. And so here's this housing boom that's going to replace it. Yep. And so from already relatively elevated, you know, relatively expensive levels. Um, it got inflated, you know, even further. Very, so, very explicitly. Mm. So, um, I mean, Glenn Stevens went from 2010, early 2010, it might have been late 2009, going on Sunrise and telling telling households that the days of debt were over yeah. and uh, it would be dangerous for the, for the uh, uh, country if, if leverage would arise any further in, in households. <laughs> to you know, about 18 months later, maybe two years, doing a complete backflip, shredding interest rates and and, and just unleashing hell, basically, um, mm. and explicitly saying, go for it, go for it, we want a housing boom. Mm. Yeah. So, so did Treasury. Mm. They did it, they decided it together. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, for that... It, terms- was, it was basically because, you know, they'd overestimated the duration of the mining boom. And so when it went bust, they had this huge capital investment cliff that, mm. that, that, that was going to cause a huge recession and they, their best idea to offset that was to just tear it up mm. with housing again. Well, and it, it did it kick the can. It so, did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And Another here question. we are. <laughs> here we are, that's exactly. Well, here we are. The question is, what's, you know, what else, how, what's the next? Can we kick it any further? And then what, what are we going to use next? Yeah. Okay, so, so then, then you come into this crash side and you go, well, what are the... What are the proximate causes of, 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 of crashes? And, and I guess remembering that you know, we spoke about these self-reinforcing uh, bubbles, and so then when it, all, when it all turns the other way, everything goes into reverse. Property prices fall, people have to sell properties, you know, revalue their next ones. All of a sudden, they're, they're missing, um, you know, missing equity and they can't afford it, and all banks are telling them, no, no, we're not going to lend to you on, a, you know, you, you've, you're inter- we're not going to lend to you on an interest-only basis anymore. Um, uh, lenders, investors start to withdraw money from 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 banks and things like that. So so we're only just at the very early stages of this, but I think the for, for my part they're sort of like we, we spoke about what the what the the sort of causes of some of the causes of this final sort of blow off. So the first one, the income assessment assessment and the, and the HEM. Mm-hmm. So that's flipped around with the Royal Commission. So now uh, we still don't really know where that's going to land. In terms of how how strict they're going to be with it, but the initial stuff from the Royal Commission was being very strict. Uh, the flip side is Treasury and RBA are, are pushing back quite strongly, trying to um, convince uh, people that they shouldn't be very strict because we, yeah, they need this credit to, to bounce around still. Yeah, they'd, they'd like to see the criminal banking continue, but uh, you know, Hain has been quite stern on it, uh, and to me, it looks like it's going to land fairly conservatively. I think. Um, Sorry, when you say conservative, what do you mean? By uh, in terms of tightening, right? Like, like I don't, I don't think it's going to be become, uh, you know, a, a severe constraint. 
mm. on credit. But I think the banks, the activity of the banks themselves is telling us where they think it's going to land. Mm. And we've seen reasonably uh, fearsome tightening from, from Westpac on its lending standards, preparing for a new regime. And more to the point, ANZ this week came out with virtually draconian new uh, lending standards, you know, assessing income expenditure and mm. what have you. And they have clearly decided, their lawyers are telling them clearly mm. that the hem is going to get crimped pretty big. Mm. Um, you know, the UBS assessment, and they've been, you know, Jonathan Mott's been far out ahead of everybody else in this. Mm. He he thinks as well, roughly the same as me, it'll land somewhere on the, con- somewhere on the Hain side of the spectrum. Mm. But not not at the outer edge. Not maximum yeah. pain. Not maximum pain, but pain. <laughs> yeah. um, interest only. So that was an APRA decision to sort of limit the uh, the the amount of interest only lending. So that's that's now um, we're, we're going through this this reset period now. So it's starting to starting to affect as as people are turning up and saying, oh yep, my five years just finished. Um, I'd like to go again. I'd like to go again, and the bank's going, ah, uh, here uh, we want some principal paid mm. off now. Mm. Um, so that, that's sort of gone into reverse. Um, that could flip around, you know, if things... things there, there is some good news on that as well, where insofar as all the banks have showed uh, quite a lot of progress in churning through their resets, like they're all about six months ahead of what you'd expect in terms of uh, just the schedule reset. Mm. Um because it's four or five hundred billion dollars worth of reset we've got here. It's bloody enormous out to twenty twenty one, and here we are at late twenty eighteen, and we're we're already kind of well. We've eaten well into the twenty nineteen schedule for reset. So there is actually positive news mm. on that front, but but it does continue for years, and there's an enormous amount to go. Yeah, um, and, and and while you could flip it, um, so this is one of those ones where you, if you pass your tipping point or not, where you get to the stage where you go. You, you could you could see APRA turn around and go, okay, that's fine, banks, go for it. You know, get get the get the interest only lending as much as you want um, out there to try and help prop things up and, and avert disaster. Um, if that's early in the, the the piece, then that might work. Mm. That might get investors back in, and you know, some interest rate cuts and things like that. Uh, if you wait too long, though, and all of a sudden there's blood in the streets and you know stories about people getting kicked out of their houses and lost you know lost this and lost that, which we're starting to see the, the certainly the, the the initial elements of that. Then you get to the, um, you know, you get to the stage where people are trying to, sh- the, you know, all these guys are trying to shove uh, debt down people's throats that people just aren't interested in taking. They're mm. saying they look and go, well, yeah, I know you want to give me cheap debt and, and all these benefits and things like that, but I'll just I'll just wait a year and, and come back then. Mm. Hain comes in here too, where APRA is under a, a lot of pressure mm. um, from the Royal Commission to clean up its act. Uh, and we don't really know where that's going to fall yet either. And then, of course, you'll have a new government. Um, we're busy campaigning to get another inquiry going on the regulators and their role in the entire bar- debacle. But, um, you know, the, the APRA's still going to have to appear. It appears at the Royal Commission in the last few weeks. Uh, and it's, you know, clearly under a lot of strain um, to not go back easily and mm. and do interest only again, for instance, like mm. you know, its reputation really is on the line now, yeah, uh, very publicly and and you know in a legal context, and and again, there's there's also quite a lot of class action movement around interest only, mm. so the legal questions that come out of Hain may also determine whether interest only 
combined with the hem was predatory lending. Uh, and so it's quite possible that <laughs> even despite all of the efforts of the regulators that want to see freer credit, that um, if you get a relatively conservative assessment of these things from the Hain Royal Commission, then private private class actions may simply take over. Mm. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess no, I, no, it's one possible scenario. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I guess what I'm thinking though is, um, in a in a outright uh, debt crisis, um, one of the key tools you know governments have is to change the laws and, and change you know change these things to to, to let people shovel out. Yeah, as yeah. Much. this, so that's, this yeah. is more more goes to your point mm. about can it be done before the crisis comes? Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. And I don't think it can. Mm. What I'm saying, arguing basically, is is that they're so in, so self interested at this point yeah. that they're unlikely to be making preemptive moves. That might head it off. Yes, mm. yeah. and by the time I they do right. panic, mm. you know, it may well be too late. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, no, I think that's the right assessment. Um, tax change. I'll flick through the restaurants. Tax changes. So we've got the the uh, the Labor government talking about some tax changes uh, that aren't going to make um, things better. Uh, SMSF lending is probably um, Labor's going to ban it. You, you think so? Right. Sorry, they, they've said they will. Yeah, mm. it's on the books. Yeah. Comes in with negative gearing and capital capital gains reform. Yeah, and you think that will carry through? I guess that's the question: is whether if some of these will get backtracked on. Or, and well, we don't I think mean. the negative gearing because they have they have come out several times <laughs> to say the negative gearing's going to go. We're going to stay. Look, yeah. uh, I mean, who knows? I, I, I suspect by the time they win the election, the the nation will be in near chaos because mm. I think Sydney property prices will be down 13 percent, mm. probably accelerating. Um, you know, unless the RBA is cut before the election, which would be very difficult for it to do. I th certainly think it'll have to cut afterwards. The economy will be stalling. There'll definitely be a, a sense that, that falling house prices are starting to tip into falling consumption, so it'll be hitting the macro. Mm. Um, you know, in that environment, you know, what is Labor going to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, throw, throw, your, throw your chips in the air, mm. you know. Yep. I mean, if I were them, I'd probably do it. I'd do it straight away, though. At the moment, they're talking about doing it out in 2020. Yeah. And I'd just slap it in. Blame and, it on the libs. Yeah, blame it on the libs yeah. and, and just um, put a gun to the RBA's head. Mm. Yeah. And just say cut. And then and cut taxes as well. Yeah. Mm. Which they'd be able to do. Anyway, let's... Yeah. So I, I still think they'll do it. Mm. But... but but, but, but it's uncertain. It's uncertain, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. can talk about that a bit later anyway. We've got some yeah. policy responses in there. Yeah, Chinese buyers, look, unlikely to come back anytime soon. I guess if you had a rapid um, resolution of the trade war and all of a sudden the Chinese yuan recovered and, and shot up and they wanted to try and get some more money out of their, you know, they wanted to cool their economy down, they might ease up and let people take more money out. But uh, I think... Um, it kind of sounds horses bolted. Yeah, it kind of sounds like they've got their head around this capital control business as well. Yeah, so you know, oh. it's rorted, it's closed, it's rorted, it's closed, it's iterated itself to maybe having an impact. Yeah, I think it's closed at the moment, but cl pretty closed at the moment. But there'll be, you know, there's, everyone, there's self interest. Everyone's busy working on how to get how to get around it. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the worse things look in China, the more people will be keen to get money out. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for the moment, we 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 think the Chinese buyers have gone. Um, I think it'll get worse yeah. next year. I mean, of course, there are other scenarios, but yeah. at least the way things are going, assuming Cold War 2.0 continues, 
China keeps slowing, it's forced to cut interest rates eventually, it's desperately trying to avoid it, but maybe forced to, then, then the yuan comes under a huge pressure mm. to fall. Uh, and then, Tell you, what, you know, as many capital controls as you can at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's mm. right. And people are actually starting to talk about uh, constraints on the trade account mm. as well right. to protect the currency. Mm. You know, like if the capital account is, remains too leaky, um, you know, I've started to read analysis that will say they, they may start to restrict um, tourism right. and students wow. going abroad mm. um, because it's a very easy way of, of keeping yuan in the country. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so, so the, the last oh, Obviously, one. If, if that happened, that would be a, another nasty blow to mm. Australia. Mm. The last one, rising interest rates, um, is... is Usually a cause of, of crashes in Australia. It's a little bit different in, the, in that it, it doesn't look like it will be a, a cause of it. It is noted. I mean, we wouldn't be the only um, sort of debt crisis if, if we go through this debt crisis. We wouldn't be the only country that's had a debt crisis without sort of um, higher interest rates causing it. Mm-hmm. Quite often, uh, it's but, but quite often the other ones are externally driven in terms of um, you know external creditors start to, to come to the point where they're going, okay, we're not going to we're not going to keep funding these, this economy with. Um, you know, and and they're the ones sort of clamp down on credit. But but in the end, the idea is if if there is a clamp down on credit, whether that be through interest rates get too high or um, credit conditions themselves, uh, you know, the, the the availability of credit shrinks. That's what usually causes this um, this crash, mm-hmm. and that's where you know we we certainly see ourselves going through that that stage at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the big question is tipping points, which is sort of the next the next slide is saying well. <sighs> When you hit a, there's a tipping point where you say uh, prices have fallen far enough um, that that where you know the, you, now now the um, the losses are large enough the the psychology's turned in the opposite direction and there's no getting this thing back and that was come back to the question we had earlier from a from a a, um, a listener was uh, you know can you hit the point where um, can, can they kick the can further down the road. So, so there's sort of three three points to this. One is a flattening yield curve. So, flattening yield curve basically means that it encourages people to to stick more money in cash, and that sort of um, that helps bring these things to an end as well. Uh, domestic conditions are the um, uh, are the parts where domestically we are pulling back on on credit. The question is, will that be enough to actually t- tip us over past the point and send us into this downward spiral? And and we don't know. Mm. Yeah. I'll just add a couple of things on that one. Um, I'm quite concerned that we have this uh, this very unique convergence of negatives over the next sort of six to nine months in terms of domestic conditions. Uh, things are fine right now. Like we've had good growth, although it's starting to slow uh, appreciably. And the labour market, the jump numbers are good still today. Uh, but the leading indicators for the labour market are definite softening. Um, and we're going to go into what is a, a pretty weak Christmas with a Victorian election, which is going to slow things down here. Immediately in the new year, we get the Hain Royal Commission recommendations come out in February, mm. which will be chaos. Straight into a New South Wales election, chaos. Um, followed by uh, an early year budget, election budget, federal budget, mm. chaos. It's likely to cut immigration in that budget. It's already mooting that. Mm. Chaos. Then into the federal election itself in May. 
chaos. Uh, and if you look at the way all of these things impact um, domestic conditions, domestic demand, they all slow it. Uh, and so you'll have this extraordinary period of uncertainty with house prices falling at the same time. And you could reach kind of May or June with, you know, because you've been in this fog, right, with, of uncertainty, so, you know, tightening credit, falling house prices, slowing economy, you could very easily find yourself in a position where you you have got a feedback loop going mm. by May, June mm. next year. Now, you could come out of that with a new government, some new stimulus, some tax cuts, the RBA cuts, etc. and they, could, might be, they might be able to turn it around again. Um, but it's hard to look at that, that six or nine month period of blows to confidence and not be concerned that that could be a tipping point. Mm. Mm. And, and, and my example from a company's perspective is, you know, if companies are looking at a, you know, $100 million, $200 million spend on whatever new factories, new, new infrastructure, whatever they're looking to do, um, if they've got that sort of sitting on their on their plate at the moment, and they're going and they're looking at the the government, not quite sure what the rules and regulations going to be, it's it's a pretty simple matter to say, look, this is a long term plan. This is going to last for twenty years or something like that. Let's just wait six months and check out how mm. check out what happens, and then and then we'll go and spend that money. So you see a lot of that just where people are, yeah. um, you know, finish off finishing off existing projects, but the things do I start a new project? So well, let's wait, mm. see what see what comes out. That's yeah, that's. It sounds good. Okay, finally, yeah. external, external shock. shock. Look, we think, an, we think an external shock would be enough to kick us into the downward spiral. So, so examples of an external shock? Oh, could, well, oh, the, do the GFC. Uh, just the, the recession dot, into the US. So yeah, you, um, mainly US-driven, you think? Dot-com bust, yep. whatever it happens. Yeah. We, so we think European that's... European crisis. That we, yeah, the European crisis is probably the most, the most likely one shorter term, or, or Chinese. Um, yeah, big slowdown in China. We think uh, at the moment... We're probably all right for that. We think it's late cycle, but we, you know, it's, and it's hard to tell. Mm. But but we think there's probably still another six to eighteen months or so to run. It's hard to hard to pick an exact time frame. Um, so you know, we think that an external shock certainly would be enough. But um, you know, the, the bigger question, as David said, is without an external shock, is, is are just internal conditions enough to to send this down? And so, and maybe there might be. Okay, sure thing. Right, so it's a tipping point. You know, the the, the lessons so Dalio has for um, for when you do hit a crash is that uh, the the more leverage and the higher the prices go, then the less it takes to, to tip you over the edge, mm-hmm. and, and the worse it's going to be. Uh, you know, the big thing for um, uh, is that in a normal recession, you cut interest rates, and that sort of helps because it you know the more money gets out there and and. You know, positive wealth effect and stimulates economic activity and all these type, all these sort of positives that, that get you through and, and off you go into the next one. Yep. The the issue is now we're close to this zero lower bound mm. where um, you know as David spoke about before that you know there's one of the, the key reasons for saying you know can this be the big one? The reason why it can be the big one is because we haven't got any room left on the interest rates. Yep. Or, or we haven't got very much room left on interest rates. Um, and, and on that note, obviously, um, so we're talking about the RBA just re- just reducing. Is, is zero the lower bound? Do you think is it is, is a zero lower bound? Is it actually zero, or could it be something a bit higher, or need I to be a bit higher? I don't think we can go to zero. Mm. There hasn't been a small externally funded economy that went to zero. The RBA itself has said it doesn't want to go below one. Mm. It could actually launch quantitative easing at one. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I think it probably could go to fifty. That's where Canada went. Uh, so, yeah, I'd probably say under extreme duress, the RBA would go to 50 basis points. 
uh, and then probably stop there and look at QE. Hmm. Good, very good. But, but good, so good thing for jumping in. So, I mean, that gives you 100 basis points of easing, which is next to nothing. Four bullets. <laughs> Four bullets, but the banks will be under margin pressure, so they'll keep half. Hmm. So, it actually gives you two bullets for mortgage rates, uh, and that would probably not even take you to new lows. Hmm. And, and and the issue we'll have is um, the foreign lending will dry up, and so it'll be a question of about saying how does how does the um, the RBA um, fill that gap? Yep. So if we, as, as David spoke about before, we've got this massive amount of foreign lending coming into basically, um, you know, people lend us money to to go and buy houses from overseas because Australian housing is such a fantastic investment. Mm. When they decide that that's no longer the the case, um, you know. We'll, need, we'll still need money to, to, and so there'll need to be this whole, um, you know, quantitative easing or, or, or whatever in terms of that. Okay, so policy responses. Though. Yeah, let's look into policy responses. We've discussed, I think, at, at, at uh, some degree anyway. Yeah. Uh, but let's look at it systematically. So, so there's two types. There's sort of what I call tactical versions, uh, which is some short-term things you can do to try and to at, at, in early stages to make sure this is not um, all falling apart. And then you've got some longer-term strategic um, ones about how, how you're actually going to, you know, as an as an economy, you're going to you're going to approach this. So some of the tactical ones, well, the first one's lower interest rates. Now it's yeah, pretty straightforward. Um, the uh, the main thing for central banks is is all about this curtailing panics and guaranteeing liabilities. So luckily, um, you know, we've we've had a dry run to this. So you know, we went through the 2008, and and a lot of the things were put in place to try and do to try and support the banks. And problematically, a lot of those weren't removed. Um, but that's that's not such a bad thing if you're going into a crisis because it means a lot of the tools to deal with it are, are actually already there. Mm-hmm. But the key tactical part is um, needs to be early and needs to be guaranteeing liabilities, letting some things fall over but not others, and and um, you, you know I guess um, freeing up the, the 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 psyche of the 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 person out there to say, well, okay, it is safe enough to spend money. Um, so providing. Pr- Providing liquidity is key. Uh, so what we saw in the financial crisis was a lot of um, central banks actually just broadening what collateral they'll take, going from saying we will only accept cl- pristine collateral to saying we will take any crap that you have on your balance sheet. You can throw it at us, and we'll 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 let you lend against that. Mm. And so we've already seen the RBA preparing for that. With its it has its um, uh, cash for coconuts facility, but it. It, it started with coconuts, and we're we're really down to uh, to sort of peanuts Col- now. <laughs> coal, yeah, coal. Uh, the um, supporting the solvency. Now, now, there's a bit. There's this issue about um, solvency versus liquidity. So when when you have, um, I'm trying to remember the example. Is a lot of the U.S. banks sort of um, uh, in the Latin debt crisis, sort of went through this with this part where. Um, all their they'd lost all this money on, on on Latin American loans, but because it wasn't this mark to market accounting standards, um, their problem was that nobody would give them money, and they said no liquidity. Mm. So that's sort of one one type of problem you can have. The other type of problem you can have is is the solvency issues about saying, okay, if the central banks they're providing liquidity, so they're pumping money into you and making sure you got liquidity, you can still be insolvent. Mm. Uh, so what we saw during the financial crisis was a bit of rule changing about mm-hmm. marking to market, um, but that's you know one of the things that quite possibly um, you'd, you'd 
you'd see relatively, or you could, if we see that relatively early, that's sort of a positive sign, I guess, in terms of how they're doing and basically just saying, well, we know you guys are insolvent, but we're going to, we're going to keep, let, we'll let you keep going as a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the flip side is you can nationalize or recapitalize and, and things like that. So, which is sort of the next stage. So the, so the first stage is going, um, okay, you guys look like you might be insolvent, but let's just modify the rules a little bit to keep, to keep you lending. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Australian banks have to mark to market anyway. Oh, okay. On the housing stuff? No. Okay. So, totally so they've it. already got that flexibility. Yeah. Um, on the on the recapitalisation, then I think the the likely outcome is that um, we'd end up either recapitalising or nationalising the lenders' mortgage insurers rather than the banks. Yes. Themselves, and so you you can kind of pretend that everybody's solvent by overtaking their insurer instead of them, mm-hmm. which is precisely what happened on. Wall Street and the GFC when they nationalised American Insurance Group, which which was the patsy that had guaranteed all of the toxic assets. And mm. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac as well. Yes. Of, mm. Yeah. So yeah, so that's certainly something you can do. One, I'm trusting this this victim <coughs> this victim narrative as well is I think one of the dangerous things when you go into these debt crises is is when they start um, is about who's who's at fault at this, and if it turns into a um, you know those those people who lent money that shouldn't have lent money, and and you know we've got to punish. Um, who do we have to punish? If, if it comes down to no, no, we have to punish the people who lent the money, and so let them go. Let all these individuals go broke, and make sure that they, they get properly punished, and these banks get properly punished by by going broke and, and all that type of stuff. And then um, we'll pick up the pieces later. Generally, turns into a the worst, the, the the poorer debt crisis versus the ones which is no, no. Let's fix the problem. Let's try and make sure that. You know, people do suffer a little bit mm-hmm. and, and, and pay penalties, but um, it's not about a scorched earth. Can we can we just anyone who touched any of this stuff? We need to make sure it goes bankrupt and anyone else you know is, is virtuous and and will live on because that's where you get the massive depressions and the downturns. Mm, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit of a like combination of fall guy but selective fall guy potentially. Yeah, it needs to be. Moderated. I think. I, I just. I, my take is. I think the US did didn't do enough mm. in terms of it. The, you know, there was too many too many people, um, too many people who got bailed out, and too many people who got, um, you know, no one went to jail. All these bad lending practices and all those sorts of things is sort of sowing the seeds for the next one. Mm. But that's that's sort of that's probably coming more into the strategic side. So this is sort of the, the tactical responses. The typical responses you get, um, this is just an example of, I've got a chart up here of a bunch of different ways, whether you're emergency lending, bank liability guarantees. Um, in worst cases, you get to deposit freezes where you basically just go, okay, nobody can withdraw their money. Mm. And so some, some places have certainly had those types of things. Um, you get the bank restructuring and mergers. A lot of it's sort of getting you, and, and that happens almost all the time. Um, but a lot of it's going, okay, we've got a good bank, let's let them take the bad bank. And mm-hmm. so that we saw a bit of that during the financial crisis. Um, Australian banking is is very concentrated already. So uh, we're probably up for more concentration, I'm guessing, if they let that go. And, and I haven't seen anything sort of suggesting not. So quite possibly, you know, we'll be in a worse, worse position in terms of that front. So, so during the financial crisis, we saw St George uh, into into Westpac, which was St George was big enough to be almost, you know, a fifth pillar type thing. Mm-hmm. So we, we lost a fair bit of competition there. Bank West into into CBA, you know, a bunch of other smaller ones. So Suncorp was was under the hammer as mm-hmm. well, but um, they managed to get it away with the guarantees. Yeah. So so those are not good for for longer term competitiveness, mm-hmm. but but um, you know, the short term. 
expediency of keeping the economy alive, I guess. Um, so, so yeah, there's recapitalization of the banks. You can nationalise them. Um, so we saw nationalisation we saw in um, uh, the UK mm-hmm. with um, Northern Rock, which is one of the worst ones there. And so they uh, nationalisations often actually work out relatively well, especially if it's if it's more of a liquidity issues in terms of um, you know they just need to match off these assets and keep the thing going, and then and often the the, the governments do actually end up making money out of the whole. So, so just like relaying that across to obviously our situation, would you see then um, the potential for a, a mortgage insurer then perhaps to be, be nationalised? Be nationalised, yeah, exactly. Like, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the backdoor bailout mm. path. Because mm. I mean, <clears throat> if you consider, if you think about it, you know, the mortgage insurers are uh, are insuring the the repayments of the highest risk borrowers in the market mm. presumably they'll be the hardest hit and the most default mm. you know where the rising defaults will be if the government takes that over they can simply pay out all the premiums mm. uh, and it means that there are losses in the banks are just fantastically mitigated mm. Mm. and so the banks it's a real confidence thing that way as well because the banks simply don't look like they engendered the crisis so much as they did mm. um, now Obviously, they did, but all of this will transpire behind closed doors. Like, you know. Um, so, something like Genworth would just disappear off the register yeah, and uh, well, the problem well, would go away? Well, it was originally a government operation anyway, it was privatised. You know, LMI, LMI is a highly profitable, highly cyclical, pre nationalisation crock of shit business, <laughs> right? It goes through a classic cycle, boom bust cycle. So, you know, it's just like the U.S. monolines, exactly the same. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you, you you get all of these dynamics um, playing out, but but they'll happen in the dark, um, and you'll only get hints of it in the press. Mm. Like, for instance, you know, there was an auction for Suncor during the GFC. Mm. Um, everyone was asked to put a bid in for it. It was never actually sold because it managed to make its way through, but nobody knew. Yeah, right. You know, but there was a bank run on. Mm. At some point, it was bleeding deposits. It was, it was insolvent, in effect. In effect. But um, they managed to turn it around with the government guarantees. It raised some debt, and it was okay. So, and, and as I've said, one of the one of the best things about any Australian debt crisis is we've had the dry run for it. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't. Unfortunately, we didn't do anything to fix it for the next one. But 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 yeah. hopefully, we've learned some lessons about the the short term tactical stuff, and and maybe we well, might have... hope so. But I mean, that's why we called this the dumb bubble, is because yeah. we watched it all transpire in the GFC. Did not not only the yeah. not only the redress of the bubble, but how it was created, mm. and then you know five years later we, we said let's let's create one of those ourselves let's create one so of we saw own. yeah we saw spain go through it we saw ireland go through it yeah. we saw the us go through it and we just like thought hey that looks pretty good let's yeah. let's take one of those yeah. <laughs> where's our bubble yeah. well i think it is a measure of how desperate the rba and treasury were in 2011-12 when mm. when suddenly china's growth shunted lower structurally and caught them by surprise and they were like well we don't want to carry this bag hmm so they just um, hit the gas. Yep, that's the next guy's problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you'll notice Glenn Stevens is long retired. That's right. Um, okay, so so strategic responses then are these sort of, these are the longer term. So you've got some short term tactical things. You sort of play with your, your uh, what you can do. So um, then you go into your strategic ones where you say, uh, okay, austerity is your, your sort of four big ways of, of of sort of your longer term growth. So austerity is your first one. 
um, which doesn't work, but people love trying it. So we saw that in in uh, in Europe. Um, they sort of straight away, uh, you know, oh, it's all about austerity. It's all about making sure that we don't spend more than you earn. And um, you know, their their recovery took a, a lot longer than what um, we saw in in the US. So I sort of probably push that to the side and go, you know, the the more. Um, the more you see about austerity and, and popping up, then, then as an investor, the, the more worried you, you should be about how bad it's going to get. I'll, I'll just add in the Australian context, I think we will see austerity hmm. um, because the way it, tra- it plays out here is um, if, if, we, if we see the bad debts and then public debt rising as it steps in to absorb you know, that, that private debt that's starting to sour... Hmm. Um, you will also f- see fiscal stimulus, obviously, to support the economy. Yep. You, you're very going, quickly going to see the Australian public debt stock rise from it's roughly 20%, but it's going to blow through the 20 to 30% ceiling overnight, hmm. especially when you add the, the automatic stabilisers and everything as well. Uh, and that's the trigger for a sovereign downgrade. Hmm. Um, so once, once we start getting downgraded, maybe not in the heat of the crisis but, but shortly afterwards uh, then interest rates start to rise um, there'll be a big push to repair the budget well especially if libs aren't in power and labor is in power <laughs> well the treasury will will want to cut mm. because um, you know they'll want to to stabilize the sovereign rating because mm. it guarantees the bank interest rates still and it probably will guarantee them even more after this crisis yeah. So the, that's one of the difficulties that will come out of this is you will have, you'll definitely have austerity running at the state level because they'll be seeing all of their stamp duties unwind. Yep. But once you get into the housing bus dimension of this federally um, and through, well, not immediately in the crisis, but in the, in the period following the hottest part of the crisis, mm-hmm. Australia will have to quite quickly move back to austerity. And, and actually that was one of the issues you saw in the US was that um, the local and, and state governments were, were pulling back at the same time yes. as the Fed was busy trying to shovel out yes. money. Yes, a, yeah. well, and I think that will be the pattern initially, but I, I actually think relatively quickly we will see all budgets pulling in money mm. in this crisis. Well, let's hope not, but yeah. if that happens, that's a sign it's going to be worse. Yeah. So uh, printing money is, is probably one of your key ones. So um, look, it's got to be a mix of central bank printing and government transfers. I think given the Aussie government debt's very quite low relative to, to other countries, I think you're going to see a lot of government transfers in terms of basically just, um, as we said, you know, flipping from government private debt to, to government debt. And places you saw, um, you know, there's lots of places like Ireland's a great example of you know relatively normal government debt to, to all of a sudden massive government levels of government debt just back on the back of uh, bailing out um, uh, banks. Uh, debt defaults, so that's that's quite likely. So so oh sorry, and then money printing. We'll get. I'll move more on money printing in a, in a minute. Um, but but it's the money printing is pretty key to it. Um, your debt defaults. So basically saying, okay, are we going to um, how are we actually going to do this? How are we actually going to restore the the the, the credit again? So there's a whole bunch of different ways about um, you know whether you, who you're saving, who you're defaulting, whether you're nationalising, and all those types of bits, which sort of before. But the but the broader, longer term one is um, is it going to be sort of fixing the root cause of this, or are you just going to simply restructure it and um, just spread it over everyone for a bit longer? So so depending upon which countries you're talking about, there's a lot of places that basically just go. Um, you know, China's a good example in the the early 2000s with a housing crash. 
um, where they um, they basically just took all the assets, threw them into a into a bad bank, and then spread that amongst everyone. You know, everyone took the pain for that over a number of years, and that sort of that worked out relatively well for them. Um, but you know, in in other cases, it doesn't work out as well. So so it's got to be that that whole mix. Um, the redistributing wealth. Um, especially if you're seeing a lot of money printing. So, so money printing, you see the um, you often see assets go up in value, as as we saw, and so all of a sudden the richest are getting richer, and you see the rise of these sort of the one percent um, protests and, and all those types of things. And so, central banking is going to make it worse. Um, quite possibly, you, you get um, a, a, a sort of from leftist governments, you get the the rise in let's let's rebalance things and changes to to capital gains taxes or, or different ways to, to try and get more money. Um, the 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 longer term lessons, I guess, is that redistributing wealth doesn't really in the past certainly hasn't really helped because capital gains taxes don't really help when you when everyone's sitting on losses anyway. Yeah, they might get some money back later, but it's not really going to make a huge difference. Um, the uh, a lot of the the rich people are, are very busy trying to um, shovel money offshore into various structures to to keep it safe. Um, so you know, there's there's issues in terms of that. But I, but I guess what um, redistributing wealth Sound, sounds good and, and would be a good outcome, but generally speaking, it doesn't happen fast enough during these crises to, for, for any sort of meaningful um, sort of help to, 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 to solve the issues. So yeah, onto money printing, um, just, a, just an interesting graph um, thrown out into, that, that sort of thrown out that um, sort of showing the levels of money printing that happened in the US. Um, so this is just a, a view of um, three-year money growth in the US as a percentage of GDP. And um, it's, got, it's got basically for anyone who's just listening to the podcast, we're basically showing that uh, you know, in the uh, Great Depression and the aftermath for about 20 years afterwards, there was sort of somewhere between 1% and 3% of, of, of money growth um, in, that the central bank was creating. And then, then that fell for another uh, 70, 80 years to, to about half a percent is a typical bit. So, so you went from sort of somewhere between double and, and four and five times as, as high. And then in the post um, post the the 2008 crisis, we saw exactly that same thing, and so that's all coming down to that you know getting that money printing out there and getting the right balance between um, you know fiscal spending and 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 buying back government debts, because what tends to happen is um, and 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 noting that you know unless you get this these big foreign currencies um, big foreign currency debts, it generally doesn't uh, result in in inflation. So unless you get so so people speak about Weimar Germany, they had these massive external war debts they needed to pay um, that were in French francs and, and and pounds. So that was sort of like the uh, driver behind that. And all the South American countries that have run into the problems, you know, tended to have U.S. denominated debt. And so that's there, that's where you run into the problems as opposed to somebody who's got their own currency and can print. So so there's those, and also jump onto um, yeah some of the other policy responses. So during the bubble, this is just his uh, a list of uh, what Dalio had as, as as good things and bad things. Um, so so during the bubble, you know you want central banks considering the growth in debt and its effects, um, you know using macro prudential policies to target restraints in debt growth, and um, uh, that was basically the opposite to what we had. Um, we had the we had sort of an encouraging of, of, of growth in debt and and sort of a a, a, a no real recognition that double digit growth for banks in lending every year on year on year on year versus you know low single digit growth in income was was in any way incongruous. It's sort of like that whole you know none of the banks are you know 
Banks are good. That's that's the way banks grow. Well, there's a, there's always a footnote in the finan- financial stability review, mm. you know, here and there, saying, oh, there is a risk. Yeah, that's right. Um, next, the next one is at the top of the market. Um, you know, what happens? What what do good central banks do at the top of the market? Well, they're either constricting with they're either using macroprudential or, or broad monetary policy to to um, to, to constrict the, the the height of the bubble. Um, and then the bad policy is is central banks continuing to tighten well after the, the bursting the bubble. I think the issue for for Australia is it's outside of the, the central bank's hands. So as David said, they're, they're busily trying to say, no, no, guys, loosen up. You know, you should let this. If it's criminal lending, that's fine. Just let them go for a few more years. They'll, you know, we'll, we'll clean it up later in a few years' time. Um, but I think for for the large part, um, the policy responses are, are, are out of the hands of our, of our central bank. Well, they can also see the. Um the, the sort of long-term debt reckoning coming, I think, in the next external shot. Like they're as much focused on that next external shock as they as, are as this this, this endogenous one. Yeah. Uh, and they want to reload their cannon. I mean, they want to hike rates. Yeah. Because you know, they know they've got nothing left or, or very little. Um, and so the last thing they need is for for others to be doing that job for them. But that's the circumstance they've found themselves in. And and that headwind is turning into an absolute gale, and so they're going to have to waste mm. what few bullets they have left before they even get to the external shock. Absolutely. So then, then you get to the actual depression side. Um, so what do you do once you've actually hit? So, so good central banks are providing ample liquidity, uh, cutting rates quickly, aggressive monetizations. Um, you know, they're they're aggressive in fiscal stimulus. They're probably fast at changing some of the accounting rules to let people get away with it. Um, Systematically important institutions are protected, um, so that's so. If, if we were out doing that, it's a good thing. Uh, if as an investor, you've got to be worried if the central banks are slow to cut rates. Um, if they've, you know, if, if all the liquidity that they're giving is is um, reluctant and it's always just a, a little bit, you know, oh, this might be enough and it's not enough. And how about this little bit? And it's sort of like it's it's all dripping out. And if you get governments with austerity, or um, or you know, systematically. Um, important in institutions that, that fail or or, or um, are unexpected to, to to make it. And, and is this, I guess, um, I guess, key a key part of this inflationary and deflationary sort of aspect in in terms of like so so to give you an example, um, you know, countries that are in a deflationary where they can just go as hard as they possibly would like in terms of say stimulus and and you know mm-hmm. central bank you know mucking around and then and then, so they're sort of a little bit protected against it turning into. You know, stagflation. I think, or I think it's like very that. hard for it to be stagflation for Australia uh, yep. because because of the because we haven't got externally uh, denominated debt. Yep. The issue is whether we go through a European type one where uh, they had to be drag, drag kicking and streaming along at every step of the way mm. to saying, um, you know, you've got to deal with this versus. Um, I mean, possibly Iceland might be one of the better examples, but you know, a US where it was relatively quickly. Um, Put, and so the, the downturn was less, and, the, and and you come out of it a lot quicker. Mm, okay. Whereas arguably there's there's parts of well not even arguably there's there's certainly parts of, of Europe that, that aren't out of it that are still running at twenty percent plus um, uh, unemployment rates, mm. and here we are ten years later. Yeah. So um, yeah. Good point. Okay. <coughs> sure. Uh, and then uh, into deleveraging. Deleveraging. So this is the part. This is the sort of the part where we're a little bit away from this. So I might just I'll flick I'll flick over this quite quickly, but. Um, yeah, the 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 issue for uh, once you hit the deleveraging stage is making sure that you're is remembering that that um, 
getting your, your monetary policy right. And actually, I might, let's flick ahead. We've almost run out of time, actually. So okay. I, might, I might flick ahead to the monetary policy side, sure. which is this sort of um, pushing on a string. Oh, sorry, one back. Yeah. Yep. Which is pushing on a string part. So in terms of monetary policy, there's sort of like, um, there's three different stages you can go through. Your first stage is your interest rates, which mm -hmm. is cut your interest rates and you get to zero and okay, now we're done. Your second stage is then your, your quantitative easing. So you go, okay, we're, we're going to um, we're going to start spending, we're going to start buying up government debt. Mm -hmm. The issue with quantitative easing is it works really well at the start uh, and then its effectiveness fades the longer it goes on. So 10 years into it, or Japan, Japan's, what, 20 years into it? Mm. It's, it's, it's hardly making any difference at all anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, then you need to get to this third step, which is your helicopter drops. And so whether that be... Um, there's been a whole bunch of different ways people have done this. So in um, debt-backed debt financial fiscal spending, so Japan, uh, US during World War II, um, US and UK in the 2000s are good examples of that where, where that fiscal spending happened. Um, you can do, you can basically go, um, the, the central bank can basically just print money to cover debt repayments. So Germany in the 1930s did this and, and um, uh, China, China did this where it basically lent money to um, development banks in China and then basically said go and go and spend as, as freely as you want so um, that's sort of basically the the central banks basically directly printing money and giving it to people and saying you know you're off the hook for, for having to worry about paying this back what about uh, the Kevin 07 uh, uh, that was that, a transfer because that's that was actually a fiscal transfer so it wasn't okay. that wasn't a central bank driven one okay so that's yeah that's certainly a, 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 a a big thing, which is, and Australia's got a lot of scope to do that because our, our, our fiscal debt's still quite low, mm -hmm. depending upon how much the lending mortgage insurers cost us in, <laughs> in, in the end. But yep, um, you can just, then, then you start getting to these stage where you just start literally printing money and giving it to people. Um, so Japan had a little bit of a go at this. Um, there's, during the Great Depression, they sort of, US veterans just got a big bonus. Um, there's been a, few, a number of other ones out, out there where basically you're just printing money and giving it to, to people, which is sort of the, when you get to the, that last sort of stage, and then you can have you can have jubilees and, and things like that. So Iceland effectively did that. Uh, you know that happened a lot in, in ancient times. They mm. have a debt jubilee, and just all the debts were forgiven, and and off you go again. Mm -hmm. um, unlikely to happen in Australia, I think. Um, Iceland basically only happened because it was just the debts were just so big there was no way they were ever going to pay them back. Mm. Um, but you know I think there's a, there's obviously a, a, a certain stage. And you want to see that the, the the central banks are moving through those stages, and not dragging their heels at every step. If they drag their heels and go, well, we've cut our interest rates to zero. Let's just wait for that to, to come good. Then, um, yeah, it doesn't you get worse outcomes? And if they're like, right, that stopped working, onto the next one. That stopped working, onto the next one. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's where you want to see your your, your central banks. You need it. You need a depression economics RBA, which. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of evidence of staff in there that that have their heads around this. No, but luckily we've seen the we've seen the US do a yeah do a good example and and, the, yeah, and, yeah. The, and Europe do a bad example. That, so that's it. I mean, Bernanke that. was um, you know a scholar of this stuff long before he was at the Federal Reserve. Mm. Well, there's some some promise in Phil Lowe, who's been very focused on the debt stock and its impacts on on monetary policy for many years. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't go so far, so far as to say that he's, you know, a depression economics guy. But that's what you do need, definitely. You know, I don't know whether you got to import a Mark Carney or, you know, maybe Ben, maybe Bernanke, ben, ben Bernanke and his dotage could come down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, the, I mean, the RBA has been existing on 
um, ideologies that are going to be severely challenged by all of this. Mm. Yes. Now, and the other thing to note is that the fiscal monetary tensions is, is the other key one. So if you've got your, um, if you have your uh, government officials dragging back on austerity and, and all these things while the central bank's busily trying to spend, then, then they'll offset each other's effect. Mm. So if they're, working in, if they're working in concert with each other, then you get out of this much faster. If they're not, um, then, and you start running into these austerity issues and, and just can't get the money out, then uh, that's where the, the, the crises become worse as well. Mm. Okay, very good. Uh, we might skip past the normalisation. It's too far down the track. Okay. Uh, just some quick investor notes and then we'll, we'll wind up because I know sure. this has gone a lot longer than we, we expected. It's been well, a big topic. It has been a very big topic. Yeah, it's gone a lot longer, but I think for, for our purposes, we knew, we knew it was quite a valuable, Absolutely. I guess, lesson for people to, to look at. Um, the, the key bit as an investor is the sooner you see central banks acting, the better the outcome is going to be. Um, as soon as you see, if, if you get still talk about austerity, you get talk about and, and, and it seems as if they're dragging the heels at all, you want to be out of the market, you want to be short, you want to be waiting until, you know, get, get, off, get offshore or wherever until, until you actually see some, some solid um, uh, you know, signs that they're, they're actually moving ahead. Okay. Um, it's unli- very unlikely to be an inflationary. You know, you, you could in theory print enough money but no one's managed to do it so far, or no one's done it so far, mainly because of the constraints people have put around central banks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's, well, it's easy. certainly not going to happen here. Yeah, certainly not in the first couple of years. No. Yeah, um, you need to um, note that you know credit will disappear and needs to be re- replaced, and that's the it, that's your key measure. Measure is how much printing and everything's going on versus how much credit is lost from the system and are the two offsetting and, and actually getting it to the stage where you can you can see that they've, they've um, opened up. And um, so they're your key sort of factors as to whether you want to be investing in equities or when you're trying to pick a bottom, mm. they're, the, they're the factors you want to be looking at um, versus just saying stepping back because most equity markets sort of take t- five to 10 years to get to get back to the, the, the same levels. Mm-hmm. But the declines can be quite long if if you don't see those those reactions. So you're better off just staying out until you see the the, the appropriate reactions. And the other key one you'll see is Aussie dollar falling. Mm. Okay, very good. Any points to note on that one, David? No, that that last one is uh, is the key. That, yep. lo- that last one is the key. Yeah. Two, for if you're looking at um, at how to hedge or profit from this kind of crisis, then the currency is, is your best friend. Mm, okay, very good. Okay, now let's hear some uh, information about Nucleus Wealth. Nucleus Wealth and the Macro Business Fund was put together to help give you access to quality, well-researched stock analysis and superior macroeconomically-minded asset allocation. We use technology to help us provide a service typically only available to high net worth and sophisticated investors at a fee level that rivals the more basic solutions available to everyday investors. We do this by using separately managed accounts, which allows clients to enjoy unparalleled transparency of what they own and why. It also means that each client effectively owns their own separate and discrete share portfolio managed daily by us. We have partnered with Linear Asset Management, who are backed by the ANZ Bank for Cash Management and JP Morgan, one of the biggest banks in the world, as custodian of your assets. In our new personal superannuation option, we have partnered with Premium, who is backed by HSBC as custodian and ANZ for cash management. We feel these structures are the gold standard for your financial protection. 
In addition to this, we offer 19 separate and individual ethical screens that you can use to help tailor your investment to ensure that your money is not being used to support companies that deal in areas and practices that you feel are important. By eliminating only the areas that are important to you, you avoid missing out on the potentially higher returning areas that you are ambivalent about, which are often ruled out in other broader ethical investment options currently available in the market. The name Nucleus comes from our ability to provide the core holdings of a client's portfolio, allowing them the time to explore areas that may be of interest or they have experience in. We also offer a complete investment solution for those who don't have the time to coordinate their own investments. Our investment team has decades of experience in world markets and we have access to a global team of stock analysts. By removing the layers of middlemen that sit between your money and the markets, we've been able to reduce fees and provide unparalleled transparency in the solution we provide. For more information on what we can do for you, please call 1300 623 863 or contact us through www.nucleuswealth.com. Yes, and as always, I will remind you that our personal superannuation product is here. It's been out now for four weeks. It's been keeping me very busy. Um, if you are interested in uh, taking advantage of some of the themes that were discussed in today uh, or getting uh, having a bit of a look at what we can provide for you, head on over to our uh, portal, our onboarding portal, which is portal.nucleuswealth.com. You can select your ethics. You can do portfolio tailoring. Uh, you can get some advice on a uh, appropriate mix of investments for yourself and um, your time frame and goals. Uh, you can also compare fees. I've loaded up over 40 of the major super funds uh, in, in by fee range that you can have a bit of a look and just, uh, I guess, really reflect on the fees that are in our product versus where you are, where you are at the moment. And of course, uh, you can seek further advice. Coming up next week, uh, same bat time, same bat channel. We are now uh, jumping back in. We were going to do the Australian housing crash this week. However, uh, we, we thought maybe we'd just preface that with our, of course, our debt playbook, which turned into a bit of a tome. Um, so it is uh, Thursday, the 22nd of November, 12.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Standard Time. Uh, and, of course, to watch that live, head over to Nucleus Wealth Live webinar page, uh, which you can find through our website. Uh, and, of course, uh, feel free to ask any questions along the way in that one. It promises to be a fantastic topic. Just finally, of course, we are always, uh, as always, available on uh, iTunes and wherever you get your quality financial podcasts from uh, on Android. Podcast Addict jumps to mind. Give us a like, five stars, or write a, a review if you like what you hear, and it just helps us uh, get out into the, uh, the broader audiences out there in uh, podcast land. Just finally, as always, thanks very much for attending. Bit of a marathon session today on a huge topic. I, I think you'd agree with me. Um, if you'd like to uh, give us a, a little bit of feedback on our performance, head over to bit.ly forward slash nucleus survey to fill out our uh, attendance survey. And it also gives you an opportunity to jot in some further topics that you may wish for us to uh, present to you. So on that note, thanks very much for your attendance. I hope you got something out of it. I surely did. And uh, we'll look forward to catching you at the next one. Cheers.